As mentioned before, in the last several years, we have had mothers participating in the service with their children, male and female, as that were um, as it was possible. And uh, we are living in in different different times, and we will do that again. But I felt that the time was such that we have to look back to what motherhood is all about. So our title is message this morning, The Biblical Call to Motherhood. The Biblical Call. Let me give you a few ideas of what's happening in our world. Elizabeth Bannitter, if you don't know who she is, she's a French writer, has written, listen to this, I'm quoting that now, women cannot reach their potential as women because of having babies. That's what she said. She calls motherhood the oppression by men, the greatest expression of male domination. Almost every state in these United States is in the process of refining the idea of parenthood. In some places in the southern United States, Children are not to, put, to address their mom as father and mother. This is true in France as well. And this is just an idea. This is an idea. And I don't, this is not a message on politics, so I just wanted to give you an idea of what's happening, why I felt it was necessary to go back to the source of motherhood and where it comes from. That motherhood is not a man's idea. I was reading St. Paul this morning from Galatians 1. He said the gospel is not from man or by man. It is by revelation. And that's why I'm looking at three movements this morning in the idea of motherhood. Its source, its service, and ultimately, I believe, its glory. So the text that was read for its source for motherhood, Genesis 1, 26 to 28. And I want us to look, first of all, at whose idea it was that the idea of motherhood should be put into human vocabulary. Genesis 1, 26. Listen to how that verse begins. And God said. And God said. God is seen as the actor, the source. And, and God said, and God made. God said, and God made. Now Jesus takes this behind the scenes. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 5, the question about marriage arose and Jesus was asked concerning marriage. And Gen Jesus said, have you not read that from the beginning God made them male and female? Have you not read? So to understand the contemporary question that was asked by the contemporaries of Jesus, he went back to the very beginning, the very beginning, the very source 
we do that now, do we not? Are not many Americans concerned about the fact that the country is moving away from its constitution and that judges and so on are using the constitution for a political transition from one thing to the next? We look back to what gave the present meaning uh, to things and so on. This is what Jesus did. Now, I want you to see something with me. Just bear with me a minute. In Genesis chapter 2, when God created man and woman, chapter 1 gives us the summary, chapter 2 gives us the process. Adam appears to be saying in Genesis chapter 2, for this, for this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and become one with his wife. That's what it appears that Adam is saying. If you look in, in, in the text, you will notice that, that that whole idea in some translation is almost like quoting some, somebody else. And he, indeed he was. Because Jesus takes us behind the scene of this whole thing and Jesus tells us, have you not heard from the beginning he made them male and female and said? He made them male and female and said. So Moses, uh, Moses Adam was repeating what God had been saying. I usually use the idea of when I'm performing a wedding, as I did for my son a few months ago, and for some of you in this congregation this morning. I will say to the husband, please repeat after me, and he repeats exactly after me. I was, I was in Toronto conducting a wedding. This fellow was about 6'4", and weighed about 200 and something pounds, and I, I stood, I felt like a, like a midget in front of this guy. And I said, would you please repeat after me? And as soon as I said that, he fainted. <laughs> I kid you not. He fainted. So someone got a, um, some uh, orange juice to see if that would give him some energy. So he was back on his feet again. Thought it was everything was okay. Would you please repeat after me? He fainted again. <laughs> True story. My wife was there. He fainted. I don't know if the adrenaline was flowing, whatever, what, what caused that. But I was telling him something that he was supposed to repeat after me. And it would sound as though she is saying it. But I was telling him what to say. And this is what Jesus said. He made them male and female. And he said what Adam was repeating. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. And I want you to see what he did. This God who made the creation of male and female. I want you to see just two very short things about him. The Bible teaches that God is the only wise being in all the universe. He is the only wise being. There are wise men and women. There are wise leaders, but no leader, no man or woman is as wise as God. That's why the scripture says in Romans chapter 17, he is the only wise God. That means that no human being possessed then or now the capacity to make perfect plans and accomplish it 
by perfect means. Only God can do that. Perfect plans by perfect means. God doesn't have to say, oops. He doesn't have to second guess anything that he does. Daniel chapter, tw uh, chapter 2 says, Wisdom belongs to God. God is wise in himself, and wisdom belongs to God. A.W. Tozer says this, that when we think of wisdom, we're looking at the only one who has the capacity in himself that needs no information from outside to enhance his wisdom. We're living in different times, are we not? We're living in times in which we believe that we have arrived in the 21st century to have what God didn't have in the first century. We're living in a time when we believe that we have come of age, that we do not any longer need any information from anyone outside of ourselves. We make the rules by which we live and determine what we want to be. God only is the wise God. I don't need to compare him with any other religion, any religious leader, absolutely no one. God stands off by himself with his wisdom. His wisdom is unique. He's, he's wise, but his wisdom, his wisdom is what he does. Listen to Romans chapter eleven thirty three. 33. Oh, the depth, both of the riches, of the wisdom, and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his ways, are his judgments, and his ways past finding out. No human being can fully, fully comprehend the motive for God in doing what he has done. And because God is wise, whatever action that God takes in producing something, that thing was made with a mind that is absolutely wise and perfect. Absolutely wise and perfect. God, God when God said, let us made man, he was not talking to the angels. The, 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 the the actions of God is done within himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. It is not for information that we have that God said, let us. It is for revelation. Revelation. That when God is going to act now, he's going to act in absolute and perfect wisdom. Psalm 104 verse 24 O Lord, how many are thy works? In wisdom thou hast created them all. In wisdom thou hast created them all. I remember when I was a teenager, which was a long time ago. Friends used to say, when today's trees were saplings. When I would get really angry at one of my sisters, 
I would say the only mistake God ever made was making you. That was horrible, wasn't it? I mean, the audacity of me to think that God made a mistake in what he has done. But my friends, we have come to that place today. Now, I want to be very careful. The Me Too campaign is a campaign against the wisdom of God. What it is saying that nobody is going to tell us who we are, why we are, when we are, and where we are. I think that this is the way things ought to be. And the scripture says God made them male and female. And, and when, when you look at the design, when you look at the design of God, you will see, my friends, that God made men and women, male and female, men and women, with a certain capacity that belonged to them individually. Both made in the image of God. Both are heirs of grace. None is higher than the other. But functions are different. Functions are different. And God is so wise, so wise, that he is able to provide a body with the potential of giving birth to another body. The designer is God. The design, male and female. I don't know, my friends, if you can fathom that. I don't, I can't. I can't because, uh, you remember I told you about the cake? If Aunt Jemima makes pancakes, we can tell what the contents of the pancakes are. But the one thing we can never do is the motive for it. She knows the why of the pancakes. We only know how the pancakes are made. But we have come to the place now where we think we know. Where we think that God somehow really blew it when he made a woman. That's what that French writer was saying. She was saying that for a woman to truly reach her potential, don't become a mother. You know, as I was reading that, I thought to myself, what if her mother had said that? What, what would she do? And, and so, my friends, realizing this tremendous responsibility and by changing the whole landscape, we're beginning to interfere with the wisdom of God in making us who we are so that ultimately we may be able to accomplish his purpose and reach our highest potential for the purpose for which we were created. Now I know that there are lots of interesting experiences that one can tell. There are things that can be done for which we do not have explanations. I was reading the life of Hagar the other day. You know how Ishmael was born. 
And when Hagar, as a mother, a single mother, was kicked out of the home of Sarah and Abraham, God rescued her. God did not leave her to suffer alone. She put little Eshmael over there and said, you die, I don't want to see it. And God said, no, it won't happen. I will not abandon you. What's, what is this text saying, folks? This text is saying, Genesis chapter 1, saying that we are not existing on this planet to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, if we want to do it. But when we are ready for it, we will do it. The scripture says that God made them male and female. And if we get away from that, we're trying to change things today. In British Columbia, a father was charged with family violence because he would not call his transgender daughter he. She wanted to be called he, and she, he said, she, she is my daughter. And he is charged. At this moment, as I'm talking with you, she's charged. Uh, he is charged with family violence because he refused to call his daughter he. We're changing the landscape. My son just got married, as you know, our son just got married, and I'm wondering what kind of a world, what kind of a world will be, he will be doing uh, if he has children, what kind of a world that child will come into. That is the design. That is the designer. Now I want you to look at the duty, the duty of motherhood. Now you turn to the New Testament. I want you to turn, first of all, to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Paul is talking about a young man named Timothy. And he's congratulating him on the solidness of his faith, on the reality of his faith, and the richness of his faith. Listen to how St. Paul puts it. 2 Timothy 1.5. I am reminded of your sincere faith. That word sincere means to be without any foreign element. It is full, fully, fully orbited. A faith that is first found in his grandmother and then in his mother. First of all, Timothy's mother was a spiritual model to her, to him. She was a spiritual model. The faith that was in your grandmother and in your mother is in you. So Paul was aware of the genuineness of the faith in his grandmother and how that faith was, was passed on by modeling by his grandmother to her daughter. And now that daughter modeled that faith for Timothy. So as the grandmother was to her daughter, her daughter was to her son. It was genuine. It was there. She had it. Now, it's interesting that we're not told about 
who the father was. But if you look in, in Acts chapter 16, you will find out that his father was not a believer. So it, it might be that she was married to him before. I don't know. We're not told, so I don't want to speculate. But this much I will, will let you know. That in spite of the fact that she had to be a single mother, she did not lose the purpose for which she was given the privilege of being a mother. She, she, she looked at that child and she thought, if this child is going to benefit for the future, I must give to him what I received from my mother. What a wonderful privilege that is. You know, I think of, of my own family. Lois's parents were pastors, her mom and dad. We, our husband and wife serving you as pastors. Our daughter is serving with her husband, pastor, at this very moment in North Albany. What a legacy to have. And I came into Lois's family by way of marriage, but I can still remember at nights and at mornings there in Medford listening to her parents praying for their children. And, and Lois's mother, I, 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 I had so much in common with her because she was British and I come from a British background and so she was quite an interesting lady. Very, very staid, very British. <laughs> and one, one of my favorite stories about my mother-in-law, dad was preaching and he made some kind of comment and the congregation just broke up. You could not believe it. And she just sat there. <laughs> as regal as can be. Dad thought, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> About five minutes later, she, my mother-in-law, burst out laughing. She just got it. True story, true story. David and I were recalling that the other day. She's a very staid woman, but I'm going to tell you what she sought to do. She modeled for her daughter the woman she is today. Her faith was not something she borrowed from antiquity to tell her children that they should be this or be that. She modeled it. Do you know in the 1960s, in the, in the years of the hippies, do you know that the hippies blame the whole breakdown of culture in the 60s, and this is known by what they call parental hypocrisy. Parental hypocrisy. Now, I know that that is an overstated, but my friends, I wonder if, like Eunice and Lois, if mothers today are models for the spiritual education of their children. Because I'm going to tell you, when a son cannot call his father, father, and a daughter could not call her mother, mother, we are not going to have a future that can be understood by the generation to come. A complete contradiction of reality. She was a spiritual model for her children. 
I could say more, but time is going. Abraham Lincoln said this. Allow me to re repeat a president's words, but I think they were great, great words. No man is poor who has a godly mother. That's what Abraham Lincoln said. No man is poor who has a godly mother. I'm reminded of a story, and I understand it's a true story. The soldier was given, the soldier was given an order which he resisted to obey. And he was given this order about four or five times, I don't remember, but more than once. Finally, he obeyed the command, and he went to do what he was told to do. And the sergeant came to him afterwards and asked, why is it that when I was telling you to do this again and again you wouldn't, but all of a sudden you got the energy to, to do what I'm telling you to do? And these are his words. My mother promised that at a certain time every day she would be praying for me and I was waiting for her prayers to begin. My mother told me that at a certain time every day she would be praying for me and I was waiting for her prayers to begin. A model. She could, he could depend. He could face the issues of the bullets and the enemy if he knew his mother was praying. No man is a poor man who has a godly mother. Not only was she a spiritual model, she was a spiritual mentor. 2 Timothy chapter, four, chapter 2, chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Timothy's mother and grandmother played a vital role in the education of the the leader who was to come. They didn't know what he was going to be, but they were giving him what he needed to become the leader he became. 2 Timothy chapter 3. But as for you, verse 14, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. The inspired apostle Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, don't forget your parents. Don't forget your mother. Don't forget your, grand, your grandmother. Don't forget from whom you have learned these things. The truths that you are now em, em, embracing. You learned from those who modeled it for you, who showed by their lifestyle that the, it could be trusted. Two things. You learn. When you learn, you advance in knowledge. In other words, Timothy although weak in body, did not take for granted what was being said. He was not a sponge that just, just sapped in what mother and grandmother said. To learn means that you put things through the process by which you're able to come to conclusions. So that it was not jammed down Timothy's throat. His mother took time. His grandmother took time. And gave him the ABCs, not only what you are to believe, Timothy, but why you believe it. Why you believe it. She's a spiritual mentor. So Timothy learned. When our daughter 
when our daughter left home to go to northern Ontario, which was some three, four hundred miles away, um, we were devastated <laughs> because she was our only child. We didn't want her to be that far away. She was finished high school by this point. And she said, Dad, no more education. I've had it with a classroom. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't fight her. So one, one weekend, Lois and I drove up to northern Ontario to see our daughter. And, and we met with this family where she was staying. And I said to the host, I said, you know, when our daughter left Toronto to come up here, we were quite concerned, but we're happy to know that, that she's attending Bible studies and so on uh, each week. And then I will never forget what she said to me. She said, you don't need to worry about your daughter because every time we look at a text of scripture, Heather would say, my dad would say, <laughs> my dad would say, my friends, I didn't become proud with that. I became thankful. Because I didn't, we, we didn't give her something she had to do. Proverbs 1.8 says, forsake not the law of your mother. It is repeated again in Proverbs 6.20, forsake not the law of your mother. A child's first education about life and its reality should come from the one who gave birth. L listen to this. Which parent offers spiritual guidance? Mothers, 63%. Fathers, 53%. Which parent taught the Bible? Mothers, 66%. Fathers, 50%. Which parent discussed God? Mothers, 70%. Fathers, 56%. Which parent taught God's forgiveness? Mothers, 66%. Fathers, 47%. Which parent discussed the Bible? Mothers, 71%. And fathers, 50%. Which parent taught about religious traditions? Mothers, 72%. Fathers, 49%. Which parent, this is very telling, which parent responded more to faith Questions. Which parent responded more to faith questions? Please listen. Mothers, 72%. Fathers, 56%. That's very significant. Which parent demonstrated faith by example? This was a little bit better for us men. Mothers, 73%. Fathers, 71%. In other words, my friends, you see the influence of mothers. And if we lose that, we are going to lose a generation that will give us a world like we never knew before. John Wesley was a student at Oxford University. And there must have been some questions going on as to what was taking place in that university. And John Wesley wrote home to his mother. I found this interesting because John Wesley's father was an Anglican minister, but he wrote to his mother and he said, Mom, or mother, as we used to call them, or mum, what is sin? What is sin? If, if my boy would, would call home and say to me, Dad, 
what is sin? I, I can just imagine how I would try to, to make it so intellectually ex, uh, palatable. But listen to what this mother said. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscure the sense of God, takes off your relish for spiritual things, whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind, that thing is sin. This is, this is an Oxford student wanting to know that, that, that thing we have heard about in our home called sin, what is it? What, what a tremendous expression. See, I would want to say sin is a transgression of the law. It has to do with coming short of the glory of God. But his mother said, look at what sin is. See, because we think sin is something we do rather than Understanding is something we are. Whatever weakens our reason, we begin to think that sin makes sense because it promises something that we would want for ourselves. I could say much more about that, friends, but I want to see the duty of a mother is to model, to model spiritual reality for the children, to teach them, to prepare them for the future. And then to teach them as well as tell them. Let me close with the dignity of motherhood. The dignity of motherhood. We go to John chapter 19, 25 to 27. John 19, 25 to 27. And this is the crucifixion. Jesus has gone through a whole night of interrogation. He's being spit upon. In fact, this is how the Romans described persecution, uh, cru crucifixion. This is how it happens. Let me quickly get. The prisoner would first be publicly humiliated by being stripped naked. He was then laid on his back on the ground while his hands were either nailed or roped to a horizontal wooden beam and his feet to the vertical pole. The cross was then hoisted to an upward position and dropped into a socket which had been dug for it in the ground. Usually a peg of rudimentary seat was provided to take some of the weight off the victims. This was not done for Jesus at this point. And to prevent it from being torn, torn loose. But there he would hang helplessly, exposed to intense physical pain. And, and friends, you know, let me tell you, the sun in Israel is hot. I can remember when we were walking some of those roads. I think, I think in two weeks, by sheer walking, I, I lost, I don't know, 15, 20 pounds or something. I don't know how much, how many. I mean, heat, just imagine being there in a cross like this. And listen to what John 19 says. Jesus is now on the cross, and the text says he saw his mother. He saw his mother. My friends, please, please hear this. 
In this we see the preservation of motherhood. The idea that in the midst of the severe pain through which our Lord was going through, he was able not only to see, the word saw there means to perceive with direction. I remember I was, I was a kid in, in school and I was in a play. And don't even ask me what I was or when, what the play was all about because I do not remember. But the one person I was looking for in that audience was my mother. My mother. And, and you know, there's something that's almost, uh, when those two eyes meet, that two pairs of eyes, they focus right there. And, and listen to what those eyes from the audience says to me. You better behave yourself. <laughs> you better behave yourself. So that, that God said, I will guide you with my eyes. I will guide you with my eyes. Look, look, friends, listen to what this is saying. Jesus saw his mother because in the midst of the pain, the blood flowing on his face, Jesus was able to feel a sense of care from his mother. From his mother. I looked at this text for hours and hours and hours, and there are two things I never saw before. The first thing that Jesus did is not to recognize the function of a woman, but to recognize a woman. Listen to what he says. Woman. Woman. What he did, he validated her gender. God made man and woman. And in the midst of his pain, Jesus validated not so much motherhood, as womanhood, woman, it, it, was a, it, was a, it was an expression of respect. It was an expression, my friends, of, of, of love and tender caring. It was a mutually shared ideas. But at this point, whenever you look through the New Testament, whenever Jesus was going to do something for a lady, he always addressed them as woman because he wanted to, them to understand that their gender matters to God. Woman, behold your mother. Then he adopted, he recognized her function. Woman, her gender. Mother, her role. Jesus on the cross. And my friends, I want you to hear this. In John 19, 27, 26, 27, listen to what it says. After this, after he recognized her gender, after he recognized her, her function, Jesus, knowing that all things were fulfilled, said, I thirst, and he said, it is finished. After this, Jesus Christ would not die without the understanding of the preservation of motherhood, of womanhood. And he said, Jesus, knowing that all things were fulfilled, now I could die. Tremendous passage of scripture. The adoption of motherhood, the preservation, the adoption of motherhood is in Romans 16, 13. Romans 16, 13. Paul now, years after Christ, Paul is writing, Greet Rufus, a chosen man in the Lord, also his mother and 
mind. And when Paul was going to write to the Thessalonians to tell them how much he cared, he said, I care for you like a mother. Like a mother. He adopted the whole language and the lifestyle of a mother to care for the people he was serving. No one can do it like a mother. I have in my notes here that she did not adopt him as a mother. He adopted her as his mother. When I moved to Canada, I became a part of a family in Alberta. They are not much older than I am, but they are. They took me into their home. And I became like their children up to this very day. They're both almost invalid now. But we do not take any opportunity, we do not allow any opportunity to miss to call and to spend at least an hour on the phone with them. Because they were like mother and father to me. And when I presented Lois to them, they became like mother and father to her. They have adopted us, but we have adopted them. When a mother functions, my friends, as God wants her to be, she is a voice to the universe. And to silence that voice will be to the destruction of culture. When Eva, or Eve, was brought unto Adam, he became filled with the Holy Spirit and gave her the most sanctified, the most glorious of appellations. He called her Eva, that is to say, the mother of all. He did not style her wife, but mother, mother of all living creatures. In this, in this consists the glory and the most precious ornament of a woman. <coughs> Mother's Day. The biblical call to it. He made them male and female. For the man to become a father. And the woman to become a mother as God wills. And when that happens, friends, children will come into the world knowing who they are and what their purposes are. As both parents model and mentor them in the admonition of the Lord. God, raise up more mothers. Let's pray. Father, again, I'm not ignorant of some children who have had very difficult, difficult, difficult times. But help them to remember that God understands and that's why Jesus Christ came into the world to rescue them from a life that would only result in bitterness. Bitterness and tears. 
I'm reminded of Ethel Waters. She came into the world by way of someone who raped her 16-year-old mother. But oh God, the day, that day of the Billy Graham crusade, she heard that God loved her. And she became an ambassador in Hollywood as well as the United Nations and to the world. And when, when she was asked about the change in her life, this woman who came into the world in a very violent way said, God, don't make no junk. Oh, I pray that every daughter will realize the privilege of their mother. And every mother will realize the privilege of their mother. And I pray, Lord, that you will cause celebration where the journey has been positive and healing where it has been hurt. Help us, Lord. We all need you as we now sing. In Jesus' name, amen.